as I sang uh, that last song with you, I uh, moved deeply. Think about what Jesus is doing here. You know, in a lot of ways, uh, I'm a father to a lot of you today and um, get to be the shepherd of this flock. And as I look out, I, I see families that have adopted people this past month. I, I see people who are instructing people in finances. I watch some beautiful kids get dedicated to the Lord. I see what's happening in Iraq, and we have people that are sacrificing to help people on the other side of the world. And my heart is full of joy, and uh, I just want to say, uh, I love you guys, and, uh, and, and it's... You know, you can only hope and dream that God would build a church that longs to uh, be the hands and feet of Jesus. Last night, as I stood at the New Paris Speedway with a couple hundred people watching them hand out seat cushions, and my, my seat that I had was, gave me the opportunity to look the whole way around the track, and I thought, man, it's so good to see blue around here, and to know, and to know that we were there more than just for the race, which was fun. Um, it really was. And, but we were there to plant the seed of a gospel with people who need Christ. And uh, I slept good last night. As Ann and I left there, um, I wanted to drive about 150 mile an hour after I left there. <laughs> um, uh, but we reminded, we were on my, our motorcycle last night, which isn't a good thing. Um, But today, as I open up this passage today, I'm reminded again of a father's heart for his kids and a father's desire to see his kids live to the redeemed potential. It's really God's desire. It's like any father here. Every father that's in this room and mother in this room longs to see their kids become the people that God has made them to be. So basically, that's what this series has been. It's looking at the book of Malachi. It's looking back at these timeless truths and reminding ourselves that those things that God said to his children over 2,000 years ago still apply today. So if you walked in today for the first time and you wonder what Time Hop is, it's, a, it's an app that you put on your phone that allows you to pull all the social media pictures from Twitter and from Facebook and Instagram And every day you open up your phone and there's an app that pulls up all the pictures from the last year, two, three, or four, five years. And it's a reminder of that took place, that happened. It's good to go back. And so the book of Malachi, we're going back and we're reminding ourselves of some timeless truths. And the timeless truth today is pretty clear. God longs for us to lead well. And this chapter I'm looking at today, it's it's a great chapter on leadership. We're going to dig into that today and uh, hopefully we'll learn from it this timeless truths that are still good today. So this week and every week in this series, I'm just pulling up pictures that come from my, my app. And here's some pictures from this past week for me or my phone that appeared. And uh, two years ago, I put on Twitter, hey, Tim Tebow, I still think you got game. Praying for you. In the meantime, we got a staff position for you at Grace Community. <laughs> he was released by the Jets. And why not? You know, we'd love to have Tim. He loves Jesus. And uh, then I put, at, at Tim Tebow, uh, back it up there a second, I actually addressed it to him. Call me, we got your back, and believe you got game. Um, so I actually addressed it to him. The next photo that came up uh, my, uh, two years ago, I had forgotten about this. The expansion had begun here at Grace and gave Shaley uh, Yoder an office, and our intern office, and also gave us a chance uh, for an office for Pastor Mike. Uh, another photo that came up. Um, this time last year, uh, as an adjunct professor at Grace College, these were my students in uh, hermeneutics class, and I thought it was funny that one of the guys was doing a Tebow. It was kind of it was timely. Um, but another photo that came up, uh, uh, this is four years ago. Isaiah, I mean, it, it's, for me, it's just fun watching him grow. But look at four years ago, just a little tight there, and now he's a sophomore in high school and he's grown 500 inches. Looks a lot different now. Uh, another photo that, that came up uh, Jeremiah uh, was filming. I love his eyes in that photo. Almost like, where's Waldo? And, uh, or uh, even Kilroy. Uh, some of you don't know what I just said. A lot of you do. Um, but the man behind the camera, uh, another photo that came up uh, this past week. 
another of Isaiah playing golf. This time is golf season. He's playing now for Fairfield. And one more uh, that came up uh, was uh, three years ago, uh, National Day of Prayer, was able to pray for our community. I remind you, too, that National Day of Prayer is this Thursday. I really encourage you to come out during your lunch hour if you're able to. It's 11.45 to 1 on the courthouse lawn. And then Thursday night, uh, we're meeting at the fairgrounds to pray for our community. Um, If you don't have anything on your schedule, or if you do, maybe you clear your schedule uh, and and join us as we pray for our community at the fairgrounds. As we look at this passage today, God wants us to lead well. Whether you're a teacher, a mother, a father, and we're going to talk about priests today, and we're priesthood of believers, he wants us to lead well. And I'm going to speak just directly to dads here. Our legacy is impacted by the way we lead and the way we live. Story was written about Jonathan Edwards, and I want to show you the impact that we can have on our children and their children and the children's children of, of, of the generations that follow by the way we live our lives. Jonathan Edwards was born in 1703 in East Windsor, Connecticut. He attended Yale University at the age of 13 and later went on to serve as president of the College of New Jersey. It's now called Princeton. When he was 20 years old, he wrote a list, 20 years old, wrote a list of personal resolutions. 20 years old, he wrote these down. And among them was, ask myself at the end of every day. So he asked himself this question at the end of every day from 20 years old until he passed. This is what he asked himself. Wherein could I possibly in any respect have done better? In no areas was Edwards resolved stronger than his role as a father. Edwards and his wife, Sarah, had 11 children. Despite a rigorous work schedule that including rising early at 4.30 a.m. to read and write in his library extensive travels, and endless administrative meetings, he always made time for his children. Indeed, he committed to spending at least one hour every day with them. And what if he missed the day because he was traveling? He diligently made up the hour when he returned. Numerous books have been written about Edward's life, his work, and influence on American history and his powerful professional legacy. But the legacy at Edward's would possibly be proud, best known as his legacy as a father. The scholar Benjamin Warfield of Princeton has charted the 1,394 known descendants of Edwards. What he found was an incredible testament to Jonathan Edwards. Of his known descendants, listen to these, there were 13 college presidents, 65 college professors, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 75 army and navy officers, 100 pastors, 60 authors of prominence, 3 United States senators, 80 public servants and other capacities, including governors and ministers to foreign countries, and one vice president of the United States, all from one man. The story of Jonathan Edwards is an example of what some sociologists call the five-generation rule. How a parent raises their child, the love they give, the values they teach, the emotional environment they offer, the education they provide, influences not only their child, but the four generations to follow. What fathers do, in other words, will reach through the next five generations. The example of Jonathan Edwards, the article says, shows just how rich that legacy can be. By the, but the five-generation rule works both ways. If we fail to work at being good fathers and neglect can plague generations. Consider the case of Max Jukes. He was a contemporary of Edwards. As an adult, Jukes had a drinking problem that kept him from holding a steady job. It also kept him from showing much concern for his wife and children. He would disappear sometimes for days and return drunk. It made little time of loving and instructing his children. Benjamin Warfield also charted Jukes' descendants. What he found further supports the five-generation rule. Warfield was known to trace 540 of Jukes' ancestors. They offer a stunning contrast to the Edwards legacy. Of Jukes' known descendants, 310 died as paupers. At least 150 were criminals, including seven murderers. More than 100 were drunkards, and half of his female descendants ended up as prostitutes. The article goes on to say, of course, this doesn't mean that people are simply a product of their parenting, that though who that it's determined entirely by their ancestry, 
There have been many who descended from men like Jukes and become, overcome great obstacles to succeed. Others have come from loving homes like Edwards only to descend into troubled adulthood. But these are the exceptions, not the rule. And then he goes on to say, the story of Edwards and Max Jukes offer powerful lessons about the legacy we leave as fathers. Five generations from now, it is likely that our professional accomplishments will be forgotten. In fact, our descendants may know little about our lives. But the way we parent will directly affect not only our children, but also our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, and the generations to follow. And so today we have the Heavenly Father writing a letter, and Malachi is writing this down through the Holy Spirit. And God the Father saying, I want you to tell this to my kids. This is the letter. This is what I want them to know. Jot this down and stand up 2,000 plus years ago and tell them, this is what I know to be true. And 2,000 years later, I stand here today as a, as a messenger of God's news and I'm saying what God said to Malachi and I'm saying it to us and to me first, listen to this. This is important. This is very important. This is so important that it's been inscripturated for many, many years. Lead others well. Grab your Bibles and turn to Malachi, Malachi chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 1 to 9. If you didn't come in with a Bible today, we have a Bible for you. Hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. If you don't own a Bible, take it home. It's a gift from Grace Community Church. But turn to Malachi chapter 2. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Go to Matthew. Turn left. That's the first book of the New Testament. And turn to Malachi chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 through 9. Stand with me as we read God's word. Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Read. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honor me. Verse 3. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. And people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way by your teaching and have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I've caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. You may have a seat. God is saying, the Heavenly Father is saying to his kids, and I'm reading today, get with it now. He's looking to them as a letter a father would write to his kids. Listen to me, this is a warning. Get with it now, or... These are the consequences. It's the parents saying, please, listen to me. If you don't do this, I've been there. I've walked where you walked. And if you don't do this, I'm warning you, these are the repercussions of it. And so we see right away, look at verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, and now you priests, this warning is for you. A warning is to give notice. It's reminding of impending evil that could come your way. It's telling you that there's some danger if you don't do what you're supposed to do. It's reminding us that possible harm could come your way and for generations to come if you don't lead well. And so he's telling them, priest, you priest, this warning is for you. And so some of you today are saying, well, I'm not a priest. This doesn't apply to me. Well, let me... Let me bring modern vernacular to that. The word of God tells us in 1 Peter 2.9 that you and I are a chosen priesthood. We are, we are a called nation. You and I are the priesthood of believers. 
men and women, we are the priests representing Jesus Christ. We have authority because Christ lives in us to be priests. And so as we hear this today, while he was speaking to leaders of the day, he's speaking to us as leaders of the day, as the priesthood of believers. This is a warning. You must do this or this will happen in your life. And he's telling them, please remember this. Please change the path of your ways. Because you are a chosen people and you are leading my people in a direction that's far from the instructions I've given you. So he tells him in verse 2. Look again at verse 2. He says, he says in verse 2, if we look down, he says, If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honor me. So he's telling them, I'm going to curse your blessings. And in verse 3, he says, not only that, because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. Here's what he's saying today. The way we live our lives directly impacts the generations to come. I will curse your blessings. I will curse your descendants. I will rebuke them. In other words, listen, the way you're living, the sin in your life, if you don't get back on track, not only does it harm you, it's going to harm your children and their children. It's like walking into the nursery at Goshen Hospital or Elkhart General. I'm walking in to where the babies are born. And you walk in there and there's the name of this newborn. It's like taking those beautiful kids that were just up on the stage for baby dedication. And before they walk their first step, walking in and taking a Sharpie pen on, on the bottom of their little crib that they're in and writing the word cursed, cursed, cursed. That's what happens. Listen to me, dads. Listen to me strongly here. The way you live your life will directly impact the future of your children. So if you're off in this corner every time you're away by yourself, the way you live your life and the sins that you're toiling in, every time you go there, not only does it harm you and your God, but it's impacting your children and their children. It's impacting your children, your great-grandchildren, and their children too. And God is saying, this is a warning. I love how in verse 2 he says, if you do not listen, if you do not, he's given them a chance. It's a conditional clause that says, listen, I'm giving you a chance. Turn it around. Turn it around. Repent. Turn around. If you do not, it's a condition. He's given them a chance. And he's looking at these priests and he's telling the Malachi, go tell them, go tell them what I see I don't like. And the same word that was spoken over 2,000 years ago is applicable as I stand here today. Not only will these poor leadership decisions hurt you and your people, but it will also impact your family. It's, it's, it's like watching your baby be born. And as soon as your wife gives birth, it's walking over to your child and saying, here's your gift from me. Here it is. And because of the way I've lived my life, cursed, cursed, rebuked, rebuked. What dad wants to give that to our kids, but we do it every single day of our lives unless we repent of our sins. The way you live your life for Jesus directly affects your kids. (laughs) I think about that a lot. I love my children. And the Bible tells us this, that children are a reward from God, Psalm 127.3. They're a blessing from him. It says, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They're a reward. They're a blessing. And the word, he will curse the blessing, it's he will curse the children. This passage brings a holy fear in my heart as I stand here today. And I sat in my office this week and was reminded again, Jim, listen to the warning. Don't gloss over this truth. I never want to be a leader who came on the scene with a bang from the Lord and left with a story of destruction that ruined the testimony of Jesus Christ and caused generations to be cursed or rebuked. And this week I got on my knees in my office and I prayed this prayer. Please, God, give me a sensitive heart 
to you. And may I always follow you. And when I get off track, Holy Spirit, may I never quench you. May I never quench you. May I immediately repent and get back on track because too much is at stake. And so God is saying to us and he's saying to you and me and all of us today, at any moment he can snuff out your lampstand if it's not being bright for him. May we never lose our chance to spread the gospel. Too much is at stake. The generations to come, one day, 50, 100 years from now, someone's going to say, hey, did you ever hear about my great-grandfather? And my hope is this, that when they surface that, that somewhere along this line, some great-grandchild or great-great-grandchild says, let me tell you about Grandpa Brown. He loved Jesus. He went to his grave loving Jesus. He loved his wife. He loved his church. He loved lost people. He stood in the face. He dodged bullets for Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. My prayer is that that would be your prayer too. And so Malachi is saying, this is a warning. This is a warning. Get with it. Repent. Return. Live in such a way that the generations to come are impacted in a credible way by Christ. You see, your legacy is at stake today. One poor decision can erode years of faithfulness. And remember, listen to me, listen to me, men and women, teenagers, listen to me, junior high. One decision can destroy Years of faithfulness. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, take heed lest you fall. We are one step away from falling. That's why I feel so strongly about dads leading well. Because we have an incredible chance to influence the generations to come. Why is God so upset here in Malachi? Because it's crisis time and the future is at stake. And you know, After he spoke here, he doesn't speak again for a prophet for 400 years. It's called the silent years between Malachi and Matthew. And the next time God speaks is through John the Baptist. And so he realized he knew this was the last time he was going to speak. And he wants to remind him, turn it around. Turn it around because the next 400 years will be impacted by the way you live your lives. And verse 3 says, because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. And then he says this in verse 3. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. I looked up the Hebrew word, what dung is in Hebrew. You know what it is? Dung. It's dung. (laughs) Maybe you didn't walk in here today and realize that your faces could be smeared with dung, but that's what God says. Is yes, and you'll be carried off with it. Curse, rebuke. God is serious about this, and it matters to him. And I was trying to think, what would that look like today? It'd be like going to the funeral of someone that you love. And as, as they're coming in the hearse, the septic tank truck is following it. And as they get out and they pull out, and the pallbearers bring out this, this coffin of someone that... that, that that you thought you respected, thought that you loved, thought that they lived a life. And and it's the driver of the septic tank truck going up and opening the coffin of this person that is your father, a mother, your teacher, your leader, your coach, your school teacher, your nurse, someone who's led you and mentored you. And he walks up and he just hoses down the coffin. You're like, no, 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 what are you doing? That's my dad. That's my mom. That's my preacher. That's my teacher. That's my coach. That's my nurse. No. And God says, no. That's who they really are. And they will, amen. And so people are coming up for testimonies. And the stench from the coffin reeks the high heavens of dung. And God said, I will smear your faces in it. You will not mock me or be a hypocrite to me. And the embarrassment of the family. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? 
the wife and the kids and the brothers sitting there. And the son, the next in line, he's got to say, that's my daddy. That's my dad. May we never, listen, may we never, ever be that person. Please, please hear me. This is a warning. I don't know where you're at today in your walk with the Lord. Listen, if you're toiling in sin, if you're in secret sins, if you're, if you're, if you're doing things that you know your character's at stake, Jesus is saying, listen, repent, repent. Too much is at stake for this. The embarrassment of the family and your wife is too much. And while this is all very graphic, I find great comfort knowing that God will not be duped and he will destroy any liars or charlatans in the families. He loves his church too much to let the name of Jesus Christ, Lord Almighty, Yahweh of the angel armies, to be mocked. You see, it's God or nothing, the Heavenly Father is saying today. As we lead others and teach others, it must be evident that Jesus is the only way. As fathers and mothers, we must lead our homes. You must say, well, I'm not a priest. I'm not a leader. Yes, you are a leader. We have tons of them here even. We have teachers in Kid City. God is saying, be careful how you teach the kids in Kid City. Be careful how you represent Christ. We have, we have, we have boys and girls club leaders. Be careful. We have small group leaders. Be careful how you represent Christ. We have elders. We have fight club leaders. We have Dave Ramsey leaders. We have exploring Christianity leaders. We, we have book study leaders. We have mentors. We have business leaders. We, ha- we, we, have, we have supervisors in the workplace. We have accountability partners. We have politicians. He's saying, listen, if you're leading somebody, we have students and student council. If you're leading somebody, you better lead well. Because if you don't, I will cover your faces with the dung from the sacrifices that you've been bringing. And we saw, what was sacrifice? The ones that were limping. He was ticked off at them because they were bringing roadkill for a holy God. He says, well, I'll show you what I'll do with that roadkill in your life. Gut them open. Take, take the intestines out and spread dung on your faces. God is serious about this. And by the way, that truth that was spoken 2,000 years ago, it applies today too. Welcome to Grace Community, huh? It's like, holy cow. Like, I should have shown up another Sunday. Let's talk about the joy of the Lord, okay? What do you think it's like for me reading this stuff? As fathers and mothers, we have responsibility. And then he says this in verse 4. He says this, And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. Who's Levi? Well, it's not Levi Strauss, by the way. Turn back to Exodus. Why does he get referred to here? What's so, what did Levi do that was so incredible that God talks about him in Malachi? At the end, like he refers to him, he could have talked about anybody, but he brings up Levi. We'll turn to Exodus chapter 32, second book of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus. Let's find out a little bit about this Levi guy. What kind of guy was he? He must have been something that the very last message for 400 years, God lifts up the name of Levi. Look at Exodus chapter 32 and verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Moses was up on the mountain. It was a holy moment. He's in the presence of God, getting the Ten Commandments. Now think about that. It's one of the most sacred moments ever in his life. I mean, he was the burning bush. He saw God in the burning. Now he, he gets to meet God on Mount Sinai, and God's giving him the rules and regulations and the Ten Commandments. It was a holy time. Never in the back of his mind did he think when he would leave that this would happen. Well, look at Exodus chapter 32. Look what happens. Look at verse 19. When Moses approached the camp after being coming down from the Mount of Sinai, 
and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned. And he threw the tablets out, on the, out of his hands, breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it into powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites what it? They took, they took gold while he was up. And they decided, oh, I don't know there's a God anymore because we haven't heard from Moses in a couple days. I'm not sure that God is here anymore. So, hey, let's take our bracelets out and let's make a gold cap. We'll make our own God. And so they made this gold god out of, or gold calf out of their gold and necklaces. And while Moses was up on Mount Sinai, the people were worshiping an idol. Moses came down and said, well, I'll show you what I'll do. He ground it down and made them drink it. Look what happens next. Verse 21, he said to Aaron, like, I left you to lead these people. What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Verse 22, Oh, do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron said. You know how people, how these people are prone to evil. They said to me, make us gods and who will, who will go before us? As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. Like, I just, it was like, Shabam. Oh, come on. It takes a form, a mold to make a gold cat. He says, no, 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 Moses. It's not like that. Like you were gone and we got scared and we wondered, we, we better make our own God. And so I threw it in the fire. And when I was, you should have seen what happened, Moses. It was incredible. Threw it in there and this gold calf popped out. We knew that must be God. Look what he says. Verse 25, Moses saw that the people were running wild and Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to the enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the who rallied to him. Levites, the tribe of Levi. Look what they did. Then he said to them, these Levites, that's referred to in Malachi, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Each man strap a sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each doing what to his own brother and friend? Killing. And the Levites did as Moses commanded. And that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, you have been set apart to the Lord today for you were against your own sons and brothers and he has blessed you this day. You see what they did? They had to go to their own brothers and their own sisters and their, their neighbors and friends. And they're saying, no, 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 no. I can't stand for this. And it says that they literally strapped a sword to their side and they killed 3,000, because they had desecrated the name of God. And you look in the New Testament, what does it say in the New Testament? It says, if you love me, you are willing to take up the cross. If you love me, you are willing to sacrifice. If you love me, you are willing to lead your mother, leave your mother and father and your children. If you love me, you're willing to go wherever I send you, and you're willing to leave everyone behind. See, that's New Testament, but how often? No, no, I got to stay with my friends. They're all making decisions, and we, we got to huddle together. No, 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 no. God says, no, you follow me. You don't make decisions based upon what your friends think. You make decisions based upon what I tell you, and you lead your family with the call and whisper of the Holy Spirit. And if it means you run from your family at that point, and you neglect because they are desecrating the name of God, then so be it. So what happened? He blessed them, these Levites, because the Levites were the faithful ones. In fact, look what it says, and it says in verse 4, and you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. And then the Levites stand up again, and, 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 and if you look at Numbers chapter 25, we won in verses 11 and 13, there was this man by the name of Phineas. Israelites, once again, you know what they get? They got involved in sexual morality. They, 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 were, they were gone against God, and God, God told them, he says, no, you got to stop this. you got to stop this. And he called them out. He rebuked them. He said, if you don't get it straight. And so, basically, there was this 
couple that's decided after God had called them out, after God told them to leave sexual morality, after they had done it, they, he was, this, this man was, had, was audacious enough after God had called him, after the message from the prophet came and they, they called out, he went into this tent, took this woman who wasn't his wife, had, was intimate with her and thinking that I don't care what God says, all that's for someone else. And you know what Phineas did? Phineas grabbed a sword. He walked into the tent and he stabbed him and her at the same time. Never, you won't mock the name of Jesus Christ. And God says, Phineas, I have a covenant with him because he was willing to do what others weren't willing to do. You see, true instruction was on his lips and he revered revered me. He walked with me. And he says, I made a covenant with him. A covenant with God is on his terms and not ours. The core ingredient of a covenant is fidelity, like in a marriage. What's the core ingredient? Like when you get married, There's a covenant that you make with your husband or you make with your wife. It's a covenant before God. God, we make this covenant, fidelity. It's not disunity. It's this picture of harmony. It's the picture of saying, we're going to walk and step together. We're going to be one. It's, it's having harmony and fidelity. It's simplify with your wife, with your husband. It's walking in step with them. It's saying, I'm with you till the end. Listen, I got your back. You got my back. And we're going to be in fidelity. We're going to follow hard after God. That's a covenant. And he said, I made a covenant with Levi. But for us, you know what happens in covenant of, we treat it as a contract. Well, I'm going to rewrite this contract. Like, you keep up your end, okay? You remember what you're supposed to do for me, but I'm going to tweak mine. Listen, you can't tweak what God has already written. It's covenant. It means, baby, take a good look. This might be as good as I look for the next 50 years. And I'm going to be with you to the end. So the person that you're married to today, go ahead, take a look at him. Say, hey, I'm with you to the end. I made a covenant before God. You might not love me this morning as much as you loved me last night or the day you said yes, but listen, I'm with you to the end, so get used to it, and I'm going to love you with the love of Jesus Christ. Covenant. I'm not going to rewrite my I do's. Well, when I said that before the pastor, I didn't really know what it meant. In sickness and in health. Well, she has Alzheimer's now. I don't know if I can live with that. Listen to me. You said you would. You be there till the end. You bury her with the love of Jesus Christ. That's covenant. That's covenant. God said, I made a covenant with Levi. A covenant of uprightness and peace. So the God the Father is saying today, he's saying, you're not loving me, you're using me. (laughs) You're just using me. Look at verse 7, look what else he says after this. He he moves on, he says, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of Yahweh, the Lord of the angels' armies, and people seek instruction from his mouth. And he's telling us that too much is at stake to not lead well. People often ask me, how do you know if you're following God? Like, how do you know if you're walking in the ways of the Lord? How do you know if, in this case, that we're like Levi? Because God saw him as walking in in the path of uprightness and peace and righteousness was on his life. How do you know? How do you know if you're walking with God? I often respond this way, and I believe this with all my heart. Are people asking you and seeking you out for godly instruction? Are people asking you... Like, what would you do? What do you think God would want you to do? Are they asking you to build something? I'm not talking about building and making. I'm talking about, are they calling on you and saying, I need help, and I've watched your life, and I respect the way you live, and I've watched you as a mother, and i watch you as a teacher, and i watch you as a coach, and I've seen you t- teen. I've seen you in the classroom. You're, you're a sophomore, and I like the way you lived your life. I've, I've seen you stand against peer pressure. It's, it's your own Peers coming to you and saying, Listen, I watch your life. Can you help me with this? Can you show me the way or help me understand biblical instruction? Then you'll know. 
So let me ask you a question. How many people are coming to you for biblical instruction on how to live their life for Jesus Christ? If they are coming, then let me tell you something. Then somehow or some way, you're walking in the path of right. When's the last person who has come to you and said, hey, help me in this. I've noticed your life. What's the last text message you got? You know, James chapter 5 is really good on us. In fact, turn to James. Hold your finger here in the New Testament. James chapter 5 gives us some great examples of someone that's leading well. Look at James chapter 5. Keep your finger here in James chapter 5. The last two verses of James chapter 5 and verse 19 kind of get lost in this book. James chapter 5 and verse 19 says this. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sin. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. It's this, this idea that we have a chance to lead people to turn them away. How can we cover a multiple sins? Because you could help that person turn around, run after Jesus, and their testimony and legacy changes the five generations to come. He's saying, no, you're causing many to stumble by the way you're teaching and leading them. And so I'm going to put dung on your faces. The septic tank is pulling into your driveway this week. And everyone will know. There's no denying. The stench from your life. The smell in your yard. You cannot drive in anywhere in Indiana when there's been manure spread on the fields without smelling it. Sin, that's you. Warning. You better turn it around. You better turn it around. No more playing church. No more like, oh, I'm just going to show up every five weeks. It's good to be back. What happened in the last five weeks? It's been hard. I got to work all week. Yeah, it's been hard. Talk to Jesus Christ how hard it was. He gave his life for you. Oh, I, I, I lost a couple hours of sleep. I had a, had a rough night last night. Talk to Jesus on Good Friday. He never backed away from pain and sorrow. He took the full brunt of our sin and he took the punishment of our sin and not only did he die for it but he resurrected himself from the grave he didn't take any time off he also tells us this here's a great reminder for those of us that are teaching and there's all levels of teaching whether you're you're a student teacher whether you're leading a group whether you're a coach and whether you're a nurse or just just do the math in james chapter 3 and verse 1 he says not many of you should Become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more what? Strictly. There's this picture here. Listen, when you take the level of leadership, there's a level of accountability that ramps up. And when you teach, guess what? You'll be judged more strictly. But there's a blessing attached to that. Turn back to, to, to 1 Timothy. Look, look at 1 Timothy. Go back a couple books. Keep your finger in Malachi. Look at 1 Timothy. Look at the blessing that comes, though, for teaching. 1 Timothy chapter 5. In verse 17, Paul's talking to, to, to young Timothy, and he says this in regards to teaching. 1 Timothy chapter 5 in verse 17 says, The elders who direct the affairs of the what? Church. Well, not just do it, but that, that, that direct affairs of the church well... It didn't say just that direct the affairs of the church, that direct it well, are worthy of double what? Honor. Especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Now, let me help you understand. This isn't the honor you give to God. This isn't when they walk into the room, you bow down to your Sunday school teacher. This isn't when you go to small group this week and you say, oh, oh. No, honor, the kind of honor we talked about last week was weightiness. God is weight. This kind of honor is, is worthy of care and support. So as I was reading that this week, I felt this incredible, I'm telling you, this righteous fear of the Lord as I began to unpack this message. Knowing that whatever I say this week and the snap of someone's finger can be played on the other side of Iraq in seconds. I'm not afraid of that. So how can you help me? Like, how can you honor teachers and leaders? Here's how you can do it. The best way you can help me 
and care and support is to pray for me and pray for my family, please. That's the best thing you can do for me. You want to care and support your pastors and your leaders? Please, pray for me. Pray that I, that I stay on track. Pray that I, I lead my family well. Pray that I love my kids the way God wants me to love them. Pray that the joy of the Lord resonates from my life so that people run the, the best thing that you can do for me and my wife and my kids as I lead Grace Community. The best support you can give me is to pray for me. That's what we're asking for. But this wasn't the case in Malachi. And then in verse 8, he says, But you have turned from the way, and your teaching have caused many to stumble. And you violate the covenant with Levi. So, verse 9, I've caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. I'll despise you and humiliate you. Now listen, I think the humiliation comes to your family. It would break my heart if at my viewing, my kids were humiliated and cursed and rebuked because of the way I lived my life. And they would say, that's my daddy. You see, too much is at stake. Malachi is saying, warning, 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 warning. He longs for us to lead well. I personally believe that this chapter in Malachi is one of the best chapters on leadership in the book of the Bible. Here are just some truths that surface from the text. Here are some truths on how to lead well. And I'll wrap it up with this. Be a man of character. What is character? It's what you do when no one's around. That's character. It's like all the decisions you make, when no one's seeing you make decisions. What decisions are you making? That's your character. It's not what you do in front of people. It's what you do when your wife isn't there, when your husband isn't there, when mom's not there, when dad's not there. It's all the decisions that you make when you're left alone by yourself. That's character. Also, know who you are doing it for. Who are you leading for? It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. Next, lead from the front by example. We see it over and over here. Actions are louder than words. I have people come to me often and say, Pastor Jim, I want to be a leader. And I'll say, are you up for the consequences? Do you realize the level of accountability? Do you realize if you walk away from this? Do you realize if you expose yourself? Do you realize that you're going to dodge bullets? Do you realize that people might not agree with you? Do you realize, are you up for it? And it says you're held to a higher level of accountability. Don't shy away from adversity. And you see this in the text. You open yourself up to criticism. So be it. Learn from it. Move on. By the way, I saw this quote this week. was phenomenal. And it dealt with criticism. It said that, he says, this guy said, I've been all over the world. I've been north, south, east, and west. I've been from continent to continent. He said, I've been up and down. I've been across, and I have yet to see a statue of a critic. You will be opposed as soon as you begin to lead, a whole new level of opposition will come for you. Get ready for it. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Always be teachable. Humble yourself. I watched Pastor Jeremiah do that this week. As do all of your pastors. I watched him. He's been a worship pastor for 12 years. And you know what he did this week? He took voice lessons. And he said this, he said, you know what, Jim, I, I want to be, be a better vocalist. He walked into 101 voice lessons with someone this week. And I said, hey, how'd it go? He said, you know what, I learned some stuff. Be teachable. Be teachable. Know this, if you don't, God will shut you down. God's in control. Know this principle of leadership. Tell the truth and do not be afraid of man's response to it. Listen to me. Lead 
boldly. If the Spirit of God is compelling you, so be it. Don't let the voices of everyone around you stop you. You're not here to please man. You're here to please God. Listen, I'm telling you, the minute you step into that arena, you better have a strong hide and a tender heart because you will get hammered. Be a man or woman of God daily. Like Levi walked with the Lord. You see, it's not a one-time decision. I'm going to be a leader. (laughs) I'm a leader. Isaiah's story in kindergarten. You know, he was a line leader. He'd run out every day out in front. You've heard it, but it it works well for this illustration. And I told us, Isaiah, Browns are leaders. Brown boys are leaders. You're going to lead. And so the teacher kept asking for line leaders. So first day, he runs to the front. We need a line leader. Sit there. I'm going to be leading. And next day, he runs out again, stands there. I need a line leader. And finally, the teacher said, why do you keep coming to the front? Because my daddy told me I'm a leader. I need to lead. No, it's all the decisions that you make daily that make you a leader. It's years and years and years and years and years, decision to decision. Becoming a leader is not a one-time decision. It's all the little decisions you make along the way that give you the right and privilege. Be courageous and do not fear. The whole camp turned away from God. Where was Aaron, by the way? Moses, second, like, he was his associate. Why didn't Aaron stand up and say, no? Because he was afraid what the people would say. And he wanted to have friends. I want to make sure we're still friends. Even though I don't agree with what you're doing to Moses, we're going to stay friends. And I'm going I'm I'm to do what you want. No, no, no. Aaron needed to stand up and say, no, no, no. The man of God told us not to, and God said not to. No, no, he, he, he was worried about the friendships. I got to keep friends. Point others to Jesus. That's why we're here. And lastly, turn people away from sin so that generations to come will be blessed by our faithfulness as in the covenant with Levi. So as I was reading that this week, here's what I did. And I prayed this prayer. I prayed. I prayed this prayer. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Jim Brown may continue, says the Lord Almighty, so that the Brown name one day down the road, my prayers that someone will say, you ever hear that, that, that great grandpa, Jim Brown? No, I didn't. He loved Jesus so much that I am the beneficiary of blessings from his legacy. So this week, as we close up this message, going back to a song that kind of really connects from the past, bringing it to the future. And the song, I believe, really captures what we're trying to say. Just a closer walk with thee. Granite Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Would you stand with me in prayer, please? God, I pray that if need be, that we would turn the course of our lives. I pray, God, that we would daily walk with you. I pray, God, that we'd be willing to leave our family and our friends if need be, to follow hard after you. Too much is at stake, God. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to follow hard after you. Just the closer walk with thee. Please, God, with thee, with thee, with thee. Amen.